You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone, and welcome to The Nerd Room, where we talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, but I'm not even going to front. Lately, we're talking a heck of a lot of DC. I'm your host, Carlos, and unfortunately, my brother from another mother, Tim, is, uh, well, maybe not unfortunately, fortunately for him. He's enjoying some vacation time and without a spot to record, so I thought that I would take the opportunity to follow up on his amazing and prophetic podcast of last week in which he discussed the developments of Batgirl getting cancelled and what he uh, prognosticated as being the potential future for DC on film uh, in light of a pending uh, earnings call to shareholders by David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. And um, you know what? After we saw the fallout of what that earnings call was and the announcements there, looks like my man Tim, with a bit of uh, intellectual honesty, uh, was able to put together a pretty decent prediction of where things were going and why there's cause to be optimistic. And you know what? Without any further ado, let's hop over to This Week in Nerd. So for This Week in Nerd, like I said, I'm going to give you the perspective from the other side of the Nerd Room house, the DC side, as you will, uh, being uh, the side that I occupy. So I took the news of the cancellation of the Batgirl movie extremely hard. I was pretty devastated to hear that the rug had been pulled out from under this thing. Anybody that listens to our show knows that I was super excited for this project, uh, in part because I think the directors are immense talents. I chronicled my excitement about seeing what they brought to the screen with Miss Marvel and how that elevated my anticipation for Batgirl because of the work that they had done on that show. Obviously, Leslie Grace is a phenomenal talent and somebody who's up and coming. And then my boy, Michael Keaton, coming back uh, to the cape and cowl in a bit more of a starring role or a bit more of a second lead type uh, capacity with this movie. And also here at the Calgary Expo, uh, Brendan Fraser had come and spoken and he was pretty giddy about his role as Firefly in the Batgirl movie and how proud he was of it. So I was super excited. And we get that news that they very unceremoniously canceled the movie. And then as the day progresses, we find out that it was being done for nothing more than tax reasons. And uh, the wind was taken out of my sails. I was cancel HBO Max, or in our case, Crave, uh, in Canada, uh, levels disappointed with that decision and it, it was to the point that I was so heartbroken I couldn't even podcast with Tim which is what led to the episode that he did by himself last week which quite frankly was better by my absence I think he brought something pretty special to the mic and you know what it, it gave me some time to reflect and some time to absorb the news that came out of 
that announcement. It gave me some time to actually consult some of my sources or the source that I have uh, within the world of DC and within the Hollywood kind of machine. And it's the same dude that kind of let us know way back when, if you remember when people thought that the publishing side was going to close, when Dan Didio was let go and that they were going to completely revamp things. And I got a bunch of panic DMs and lo and behold, all the things that he told me were coming to pass did come to pass. So, um, yeah, I put my finger on the pulse there a little bit and basically he restated a few things that we've heard. He said the movie was fine, but very much something that was made for a streaming service. It, um, had no chance of being a theatrical release. It was pretty small in scope, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. Um, as you know, I quite enjoy the smaller, more intimate superhero fair. So, uh, to hear that was a bit disappointing for me, but, uh, it it sounded like it kind of had its foot in two worlds in that it was almost there for being a big extravaganza, but was definitely rooted in being, uh, a streaming offering and it wasn't something that would hurt the DC brand per se. Uh, but at the same time, it, it wouldn't have moved the needle and might've been something that reinforces that they're a bit of second fiddle, uh, to Marvel studios. So, uh, that is what it is. It, it didn't do anything to, um, bomb my disappointment but at the same time I understood right and we're talking about the intellectual honesty and I kind of understand DC on film is not in a position where they can take too many more black eyes where they can be seen as an inferior product so I understand I don't agree with it but I understand and then we look at what they did with that tax write-off situation and I don't agree with that at all. I don't believe in sacrificing the art uh, in the interest of shareholders and making a financial decision, but I understand the logic. I don't agree with it at all, but I understand the logic. And that's that intellectual honesty again, where it doesn't always have to feel pleasant and it doesn't always have to be something that you agree with, but sometimes you got to... read the cards as what they are and just move forward from there. So I I think if there's a silver lining to any of this, not that it's a great silver lining, but I think this firmly establishes that WB Discovery is not the WB, the Warner Brothers of old, the Jack Warner, anything for the picture type attitude where it's the art and the vision above all else. Um, Under David Zaslav, those pretenses are gone, and it's about doing something that the shareholders are comfortable with, and that's who they're accountable to. And you know what? Maybe that's just something to wrap our heads around at this point in time, is that that Warner Brothers that was chasing Oscars, that was uh, going after these visions and was really putting out film as a multimedia product, but as art first is gone. And this is the new studio that we have. And you know what? It's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. It's just the reality of the situation that we have in front of us, right? So 
Um, maybe with those new attitudes, we'll see things like them making a decision about Henry Cavill. And, you know, if this guy wants a Superman movie and if Henry Cavill's playing games, maybe he uses the same principles that he used on Clint Eastwood in <clears throat> light of uh, Cry Macho and it's show business, not show friends. And if that guy doesn't want to play ball, they've got some great options to take on the cape and play Superman going forward and off we go. So one of the big things that came out of all of this and something that Tim predicted is that they are going to be establishing a DC studios with Alan Horn acting as a bit of a shepherd to bring that in. Alan Horn is the guy that reorganized Disney like Tim let us know and that they have a 10 year plan. And you know what? the target of that 10-year plan is definitely going to be financial success and they're probably going to try and ape Marvel a little bit and there's a ton of people that will be embracing uh, that approach and I think it'll serve them well. Uh, I'm not necessarily all in or all out on that, but uh, I do see the logic and where they want to go with that. So that is something that's kind of exciting. Uh, for DC on film and for the fans that want the connected universe. It sounds like the heads of Warner Brothers Entertainment are looking at having a Kevin Feige-esque type of person in uh, a lead role with that. I personally think that you're not going to find a Kevin Feige. You ended up with a person who was a comic book super fan who cut his teeth in the industry over 15, 20 years, shepherded all those X-Men films, things of that nature through, and then took on that big seat. You're not going to find that at this juncture. So, you know, maybe you're looking at a bit of a brain trust type situation with a couple great producers like a Greg Berlanti and you know maybe you can woo Walter Hamada into sticking around and maybe bring a person like a Paul Dini in uh, who knows the lore and who has some experience with the entertainment industry and I mentioned Walter Hamada and they almost lost him uh, he took a pretty dim view of how WB approached canning the Batgirl movie and uh, it sounds like his very first concerns were about his directors and about his star and about the talent behind the Batgirl movie. And he was ready to quit, but it sounds like uh, Pam Abdi and uh, Michael DeLuca were able to talk him into sticking around at least until Black Adam uh, hits theaters at the end of October. And who knows what happens after that. By all accounts, they are very, very uh, interested in having him stick around for the long term. And why wouldn't they be? You look at Hamadi's tenure as the head of DC and really the only kind of loss that he had was one Roman 84 and that was had a lot to do with just giving the director full control of the film. I know that there was notes that were provided and um, they were disregarded and the movie is what it is. Um, some people love it. Some people think it's the worst thing going and some people are in the middle. But aside from that, like... He's got Shazam to his name, The Suicide Squad, The Batman, which are two of the finest movies in the genre, in my opinion, Joker, Birds of Prey, which had a pretty uh, significant critical reception and really was cut short just by uh, the pandemic firing up at that point in time. And uh, even some different type projects like Super Pets and Peacemaker. And the guys had a lot of success. And I think he shepherded 
DC on film well. And I personally hope that he sticks around, but if he leaves, I don't know that I could blame him at all. Um, and at the end of the day, you know what? We're in a position where I really like where DC is at right now. I like that their projects are a little more standalone, a little bit more filmmaker uh, driven than what we've gotten from the other side of the house. However, I can't deny that they could be more financially successful. They could have a greater pop culture appeal and we'll see what happens with uh, the new look DC and DC studios. I'm cautiously optimistic, but I am definitely in show me mode with uh, Warner Brothers DC. I got pretty burnt by what happened with Batgirl and I'm not counting any chickens until I'm able to buy tickets for some of these movies. So let's see what happens. As far as news goes, you know what? We're going to stay on this DC train and we haven't talked much about Ezra Miller and their trials and tribulations on this show. But just this morning, um, word got out that the Vermont police uh, charged Ezra with an offense, like it was a break and enter and the theft of some liquor from, it was a friend's house, I guess, uh, based on what I was reading today. And I actually pulled up the Vermont police release that they put out. So I'm fairly confident in that source of information. But yeah, it seems like Ezra is in rehab and that might speak to why charges were laid for this incident that happened in May because the police were finally able to track Ezra down. And to be honest, I see this as a bit of a positive where, you know what, the guys in rehab, they're getting the help that they so desperately need, as is clearly illustrated by their actions all over the U.S. and uh, other parts of the world. And hopefully Ezra comes out of the rehab situation, a better person, a healthier person. And the charges need to happen because they need to be held accountable and need to answer to the things that they've done. And at the end of the day, everything will be in a better position when being a nerd podcast, we're focused on The Flash. When The Flash comes out, if all this dirty laundry was just piling up and just sitting there and seething, that's a terrible situation if Ezra is committed to rehab and has been held accountable by the courts for their actions and that the people that want them held accountable for different things see that happen. Uh, quite frankly, who are we to say anything, really? Our opinions don't matter. It doesn't matter about uh, what WB does or doesn't do with Ezra Miller in the role of The Flash. Uh, that's not for us to say. That's between... WB and their contract of employee and Ezra's actions are between them and the people that they affected. So that's all I got to say on that. And I think uh, this is actually uh, a bit of that darkest before the dawn type scenario. Uh, in other WB news, multiverses, the very addictive Smash Brothers type game that uh, players first released uh, featuring the WB characters across the spectrum of their library. So you got Scooby-Doo or the Scooby-Doo characters, Adventure Time, the DC characters, obviously, even guys like the Iron Giant, Bugs Bunny. 
They're all thrown together in this super fun fighting game. And they announced today that after being out for about a week and before the game technically launches, so it's still in its beta test mode, there's 10 million active users after this thing has only been out for uh, about seven days now. And uh, that's pretty commendable and pretty exciting. I've pumped a ton of hours into multiverses. Batman on my account may or may not be at max level, but uh, you know what? It's loads of fun. If you have a computer or a game console, I definitely recommend downloading it. If you have a family, it's a pile of laughs to just play four players versus each other or teams of two type of thing. The game is actually free. And when you play offline multiplayer uh, at home, you have access to the whole roster of characters and when you play online, they give you uh, a handful of characters and the ability to unlock them as you play the game. So I definitely recommend checking that one out. And like I said, you can't beat the cost of entry for it. Uh, a bit of comic talk. Hit my comic store and I've been uh, finally getting through a couple of runs. And uh, you know what, my boy Dalton, this one's for you because uh, we owe you, man. And I bought Tom King and David Marquez's The Killing Time. I've been collecting it as it's come out. However, I haven't been reading it. I've just been letting it pile up because I got a little burnt with Batcat and how long it took for uh, those issues to uh, finally culminate with this series. And it was confusing and I didn't end up enjoying it, reading it monthly or bi-monthly or every six months. Who knows what that release looked like. So I didn't trust it. So I just let these pile up and I started reading Killing Time and it's great. It is a fantastic story. Marquez's art is awesome. And um, yeah, it's a neat story that has a bit of a, a time delay type narrative style to it in which you have a team up of Catwoman and Riddler and then you have Batman chasing them. Uh, the Penguin is influencing things. And then there's some other characters that get introduced. I don't want to spoil anything. And they use, uh, and Tom King uses a time-lapse narrative type uh, trope to get you through the book. And it even flashes back to a couple uh, Greek tales to kind of parallel against. And it's been a riot to read. I definitely recommend reading it uh, the way I am, where you have all the issues and you can kind of read them one after another or a couple at a time. And uh, I've really enjoyed the book. It feels like it's out of continuity, which is a good thing. It's one of those that'll stand alone and you can recommend to somebody who asks you, what's a great Batman story I can read? The Killing Time is definitely one of those. Uh, Flashpoint Beyond is shaping up to be another one of those type of stories. Um, it basically picks up with Thomas Wayne coming back to the Flashpoint world, thinking, what the heck is going on? This world shouldn't exist. And uh, it basically takes the story point forward as though Eobard Thorne Thon and uh, Barry Allen didn't influence the things that were happening within that universe. And it does, I was pretty skeptical, but it does some pretty cool things and some just like, hell yeah, type of moments that play out. Uh, there is a parallel narrative with Bruce uh, in the contemporary DC universe playing out as well. And uh, I've really, really, really enjoyed this story. And because it's, uh, it takes place on a different earth, it 
can do things that you wouldn't see in the normal books and you get to have some fun with characters like Thomas Wayne and Oswald Cobblepot and how they interact and whatnot. So it certainly picks up on the threads of the original Flashpoint story, but uh, builds them out and it plays with a few of the pieces that were left over from the Doomsday Clock storyline. So Jeff Johns um, moving that narrative forward and it seems like everything is building to Dark Crisis. And Dark Crisis, all I got to say about Dark Crisis is... I sent our boy Troy screenshots of, I think, the first two pages or pages three and four of issue two. And just because it was cool Nightwing battle sequences. And I was like, dude, you got to check this out. And the next thing I know, it was like two days later, he's bought those books. And that DM is as long as my arm because he is ranting and raving about how amazing Dark Crisis is. And he just kind of peripherally follows the DC universe and was able to dive right in, pick up the story from issue one without any of the preceding material under his belt, kind of gets what they're going for and is just soaking up and loving the story and the potential of it paying off things from future state, things from the past and where it could lead for DC at the end of this thing. I personally think that they're heading towards uh, reestablishing that uh, infinite multiverse of the seventies and that kind of everything counts. And I think, suspect that DC is going to be a lot less reliant on canon and continuity going forward and they're going to design their books and their arcs to be a little more self-contained and a little bit more user-friendly if you want to jump on or jump off and I I think that's a good thing at this point in time uh, with comic book reading I'm going to suggest that the monthly reader going to the store, getting your pull list type scenario uh, has been reduced and that we're looking at uh, readership that likes to dive into trades and uh, take in stories similar to manga. And you know what the proof is in the pudding with sales numbers, like those books outsell American comics at like a five to one type of clip. And, you know, I spend a lot of hours standing around in comic stores talking with the owners and, I see the things that older people are buying and I see the things that younger people are buying and it's not even close. Like people under 30 are looking at those self-contained type of stories and nobody's buying the the weekly or, or monthly books type of thing. And they're just looking to dive into great stories that they can um, absorb, put on the shelf, recommend to a friend. And I, I think that's serves the medium the best, to be honest, long-term. So yeah, those are some comic book recommendations. Obviously they're a little bit uh, Batman skewing, but uh, hey, I'm the goddamn Batman. As far as other DC content, if you want to consume it, we got Super Pets just recently, and it's been out for a few weeks, and I really hope that people check this movie out. It's not exactly lighting the box office on fire, but at the same time, I think it's suffering a bit from changing release dates with Black Adam and being like the fifth animated kids movie to come out in seven weeks type of thing. So um, it's probably feeling a bit of uh, family movie fatigue and back to school and whatnot down in the States. But that aside, it is a wonderful, wonderful, heartwarming film. It 
really, really um, embraces the DC lore across the spectrum of the previous animated iterations, the old movies, uh, the current comic books, and it totally makes it its own. It's in its own little world, and the characters all have unique designs, and it is heartwarming and wonderful and... I'm not one to get emotional in movies, but there was a few times that I got a little verklempt because it did such a great job with these characters. And I know like our boy Rick and my man Tom, they took their son and grandson respectively and very much enjoyed the movie. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think that you'd find a kid under 10 that wouldn't like it. I've gone twice. I went the second time with my nephews. I was entertained beginning to end once again and they were riveted and those kids are hell and impossible to keep their attention and they sat and were totally into the movie just gobbling it up and loving it and the other kids in the theater seemed to be having a good time and there is a bit of a mum dad divorce situation where uh, you could tell that that was the trade-off point and dad stuck around because uh he could, and he ended up standing up and saying, you know what, I really enjoyed that movie. I'm glad that I spent the time instead of leaving. And uh, yeah, you know what, if you can be in that situation and if Crypto the Superdog can bring you joy, uh, that's a testament to the quality of the movie. And stick around all the way to the end for a little bit of a, an Easter egg. If you do, go check it out. And also, if you want to keep watching DC content, The Sandman on Netflix. The Sandman on Netflix. The Sandman on Netflix is glorious. As someone who's read the comic series a couple times over, who has listened to the audio drama, like this series is perfection. It absolutely embraces and captures all those things that made those books and uh, that lore so magical and made Morpheus's world and the dreaming so compelling. It absolutely nailed all of those things. They made small changes to the characters, but nailed the heart and the soul of those characters and modernized it just enough and it is it is perfect. Think Zack Snyder's Watchmen uh, and how devoted it was to the source material uh, is how Netflix is treated and Warner Brothers TV, the Sandman series. And, you know, you can feel Neil Gaiman's guiding hand through uh, this series. He was intimately involved in its development and its filming and its writing and, and its promotion. And uh, you see that uh, in spades. So obviously I'm a bit of a Sandman super fan, but my wife knows nothing about the Sandman. The only thing she knows about the Sandman is managing my audio files on our iTunes account or Audible or whatever the heck. And so she, no idea about anything. And she sat down and has been watching the series with me. We're almost all the way through. we got two or three episodes left. And uh, she not only understands everything, but has absolutely loved the show thus far. And honestly, the only questions she has are trying to pull spoilers out of me. Nothing has um, been over her head and it's very um, new 
audience friendly, so I can very confidently recommend the Sandman. And uh, you know what? Look at that. Look at all these great DC products out there that we can enjoy. If if you're not just sitting, quote unquote, waiting for Superman, there is actually a pretty amazing library of comic books, of TV shows, and of films uh, that you can absorb. And um, man, you know what? Kudos to Walter Armada, to Jim Lee, to Tom King, to Jeff Johns, to Greg Berlanti, and all those folks. And speaking of Greg Berlanti, it sounds like the Green Lantern show is all systems go on HBO Max and that it has survived the axe. And that's pretty exciting. I think the Green Lanterns are long overdue to uh, make their presence felt and make their presence felt in a good way. And you know what? That might, to go back to the Batgirl story, like maybe those are the types of situations you want to avoid where you had a big budget Green Lantern movie that kind of fell on its face. And now we're coming up on 12 years, if not north of that, where Green Lantern has had this scarlet letter attached to them because of a movie that failed because they bombed on the biggest platform. So I'm glad they're taking the time to get the lanterns right and to give them the care and attention. And hopefully they can grow the fandom to what that character deserves. And uh, also exciting news. In fact, to use the man's word themselves, some sexy news is that Idris Elba said that uh, he was being interviewed by uh, Eric Davis of Fandango, I believe it is. And uh, he was asked, he said, you know, you're a guy who's played in Marvel and in DC. Uh, do you have any projects percolating with it, with either? And he said, DC. And Idris said that he has a big, sexy project coming forward with DC. And I can't wait to see what that is. He's likely going to be collaborating with James Gunn. Maybe it's something in that checkmate space. Maybe it's another Suicide Squad movie. Maybe it's a solo project. But Idris Elba as Bloodsport was one of my favorite things that we've had in the last couple of years. I love that guy's energy. He's a tremendous actor. And um, he took a character that's in had a pretty small role in comics gone past. And he and James Gunn made him this big, bombastic, super cool, uh, very lovable character with a lot of facets that you could explore going forward so really excited about that and uh yeah you know what i started on a bit of a somber note and look at me i'm uh like mj saying shimon out here about uh all the things that dc has on offer so yeah hopefully if you're like me and was uh a, a bit punched in the gut by the word on batgirl that this little conversation has kind of uh, yielded a bit of a different perspective on where things are at now. And you know what? All we can do is sit and wait and see what they bring to us. And uh, you know what, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today here in the Nerd Room. And if you want, you can check out all the stuff that Ian is doing over on Instagram and all the things that the boys are putting together on YouTube. And we'd love if you gave us a like and subscribe there. And you know what? If you got anything out of this show and Tim's show the week before, uh, you know what? 
our goal here in the nerd room is we very much like to take that intellectually honest look at things and it's not necessarily something that's positive or negative but we like to take a very uh sincere look at the things in the fandom and you know celebrate them wherever we can that's what we look for first and foremost but if things aren't passing the sniff test we like to kind of assess why instead of jumping up and down and getting mad and uh you know doing that yelling into mics and angry boycotting type of thing that uh some segments of fandom like to do so you know what maybe we need t-shirts some uh the nerd room intellectual honesty type shirts or uh, maybe you can spam tim with dms asking him to put the uh, nerd room batman shirt back into uh rotation on our t public store because that thing was killer and the people that have them love them so uh at any rate i am your host the goddamn batman of the nerd room podcast and thank you so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from the Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.